Well, welcome to church, uh, everyone. Good to see a good crowd in again this morning, especially as we get underway uh, at four o'clock again this afternoon. I guess I'll be back here again uh, meeting with some others, but uh, good to see you here this morning. If you uh, <coughs> happen to pay attention to the news, and it's particularly if you tend to follow current affairs relating to the church, uh, you might have noticed in the last few years, uh, it's there have been years that are quite notable for the fall from grace of a number of very well-known uh, international uh, church leaders. Uh, some of the names might be known to you. I guess Ravi Zacharias is probably the best known of those, but Mark Driscoll or Bill Hybels might be other examples of church leaders who have fallen into disgrace one way or another. Uh, and I wanted to talk about uh, another uh, fellow this morning, uh, Jerry Fowell Jr., who to my mind uh, is one of these uh, very well-known uh, church leaders uh, who gives a particularly instructive uh, example of uh, the subject that we'll be considering this morning. Now, uh, Jerry Fowell Jr. is the son of Jerry Fowell Sr., so there's two pictures up here. The one on your right as you look at it is the father. He died in 2007 actually, so that'll be quite a, an old photo. So uh, Fowell Sr. was an evangelical leader himself who was famous uh, across America. He was a household name in the 80s for his political activity. He was an instigator of the moral majority movement, took a strong stand uh, in public on moral issues. And under his tutelage, his son, uh, Jerry Fowell Jr., uh, rose to prominence himself uh, within the American church, and he eventually succeeded his father as the president of uh, Liberty University, uh, which would be one of the most famous and significant Christian uh, tertiary institutions in America. It currently has, uh, as of right now, about 130,000 students enrolled, which makes it about three times larger than Auckland University. So it's a significant institution, and Jerry Fowl Jr. himself uh, is a well-known public figure and a Christian leader in America. He was influential in Trump's uh, presidential campaign some years ago. So he's one of these uh, very significant uh, leaders uh, who then uh, had a downfall in, in 2020. Uh, he resigned from the president of, as president of the university on 24th of August that year. Uh, after explosive details about his private life, his family life, uh, came to light. And uh, he's no longer uh, in the position of leadership that he was. Now, I'm not too interested in the details of what went on, the scandals, uh, but the media were all over it. And what interested me is not so much uh, the events that led to him stepping down, but the comments that he's made subsequently about the state of his Christian faith. He gave an interview to uh, Vanity Fair magazine, uh, for instance, where he said, because of my last name, people think I'm a religious person, but I'm not. And another comment in that interview, he stated he believed in, in Christ, uh, but not in the church. Uh, it was clear as a young man, he'd convinced himself it was rational to believe uh, that Jesus is the Son of God, but he'd never wholeheartedly embraced the Christian life himself. And as you read through his comments and the things that he says about his faith perspective, uh, it seems pretty clear 
that his faith in God has never been central to who he is. And to give him credit, uh, since uh, his exposure in the media, he's put his hand up, he's confessed to that, he's, he's been free in saying, actually, I don't have a strong Christian faith, and I never have. And uh, to me, that's pretty striking, though, isn't it? It's, you know, we, we hear of leaders who fall because of bad behavior, but here is someone who had the right name, who had came from the right family, had an impressive job in a religious institution, had national leadership in the church, and yet uh, the reality of what they believed and, and what they uh, thought in their private life was not aligned to the reputation that they had in public. And Jesus regularly talks about this kind of religion. Excuse me, I think this is, yep, this is rebooting. Jesus regularly talks about this kind of religion where reputation and reality aren't aligned. In Matthew 7, he talks about the day of judgment, and he says, On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And in Matthew 23, he uses quite a colorful illustration when he's talking to some religious people and he says, you're like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. And the reality is, I don't need to labor the point with you. The world is full of churches and religious movements and individuals where reality and reputation uh, don't match up. And Jesus addresses this mismatch head on in the passage that we're going to be looking at this morning. We're going to be reading from Revelation uh, chapter 3 as we continue our series looking at the letters to the churches in Revelation. And uh, this morning we're considering Jesus' words to the church in Sardis. So let's read that together. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I've not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I'll come like a thief, and you'll not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's just pray. Father, as we uh, um, seek to hear from Scripture now, we pray that you'd open our hearts uh, to hear clearly what you'd want to say to us by the Holy Spirit uh, as we consider again uh, these words of Jesus uh, to the church in Sardis. So help us in our understanding, convict us uh, where we need it, we 
In Jesus' name, amen. As Jesus begins speaking to this church, he says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. You have the reputation of being alive. This is a church with a big reputation for life. And we're not given any details. We don't know exactly why the church carried this reputation. Uh, There's a few things that are missing in this letter, and and they might give us some uh, clues as to to why they might be uh, considered to be a a living church. There's no mention of persecution, for instance, as there is with some of the other churches that Jesus is speaking to. So there are Christians in nearby towns in Smyrna and Pergamum. They're suffering severe persecution. And maybe they wish they were part of the church in Sardis. They look over there and they say, look at those guys. They're meeting freely out in the open and they don't get any trouble and they look like they're having a good time. Wouldn't it be good to be part of the church in Sardis? And there's no mention in Jesus' words to Sardis of false teachers in in the way that there is with some of the other churches that he speaks to. And so I can imagine if you were a, a church leader in Ephesus or Pergamum or Thyatira, You might have looked over to Sardis and wished you had a church community like that. They didn't seem to be struggling with false teachers like the Nicolaitans or the prophetess Jezebel. There's no mention of anything like that. And maybe uh, for other Christians and other churches in the area, they looked at Sardis and they thought, those guys seem to have it together. They don't have the problems that we have. That's a living church. But while the church looks alive, there's clearly a serious problem developing in the church, Jesus says, you have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. They're near death. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. And there are some in this church, clearly, who belong to Jesus, but they seem to be in the minority, in fact. In verse 4, Jesus says, you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments. There are some there who are faithful to Jesus, but they seem to be perhaps the minority. And we see here that a church, a whole church can look spiritually alive, but it can be dead or near death. A church can have a strong track record in the past. It can have an impressive history. A church can look visibly alive, it can have lots of people, it can have nice buildings, it can have staff, it can have a big budget. A church can be like that, it can have a reputation for life, and yet it's possible that a church could be dead in the sight of Jesus, and the reality doesn't match the reputation. And if that's true for churches, it's certainly true for individuals. When I think about uh, quite a large church like Raleigh Street, I imagine it would be quite easy to fake it. If you wanted to come along here week after week and cultivate a reputation for religion without really having the reality, I think that would be very doable. Yeah, Just turn up a couple of times a month, carry a Bible. If you avoid swearing and you don't smell of alcohol when you arrive, you know, you could possibly, it would be very sad, but you might go years without anybody thinking to question the reality of your faith. I think it would be quite easy to carry off the the image of of a a sincere and a living faith uh, without the reality. Uh, 
by just doing a few things to give that impression. One of the scary things is you, you, could, be, uh, you could be all reputation and no reality and not even realize it. It's easy to be self-deceived. It's easy to be complacent. And that seems to be an issue here in Sardis as well. They're dead, but they don't even realize they're dead. That's why Jesus has to say, wake up. Wake up to the reality of what's going on. You have a reputation for being alive. You probably believe the reputation you have, but actually uh, the reputation doesn't match the reality. That's what Jesus has to say to Sardis. And uh, we read these words again this morning, and we have to contemplate whether they uh, correspond to our position, our situation. And I want to ask you this morning, as you sit here, do you want to be alive? Or are you happy with a dead religion? Do you want the reality? Or are you satisfied just to have the reputation? And when I ask that question, I would hope that every single person here would say, I want to be alive. I want a reality to my religion. I don't just want to fake it. I don't want to just have something that's empty. I want to have the real deal. I hope that's your answer. I hope that's where you are this morning. I hope we all want to be alive. The key to a living and a real religion is given to us, is outlined for us by Jesus in verse 3. He's talking to this church. He tells them they need to wake up. And in verse 3 he says, Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. That's the key that he gives them to recapturing and rediscovering a real religion. Remember then what you received and heard, keep it and repent. And as we read these words, firstly, I want you to notice that what's needed is not something new, but something they already have. Jesus isn't asking them to innovate. He's not asking them to push the envelope or try something new. He uses the words remember and keep. Remember and keep words that suggest holding on to something they already have. Something eternal, something unchanging. They don't need anything new. They need to recover what they've already had. And what Jesus says they need to remember and keep is what they've received and heard. Remember what you've received and heard. Keep it and repent. What does Jesus mean, what you've received and heard? I suppose that could seem kind of vague. You may wonder what that could mean. Well, Jesus is talking about something which comes through the ears, through hearing. Some kind of a message. Something that's received. And uh, in thinking about this, uh, my own thought and what I'm going to propose for you that what's being referred to here is the good news of Jesus Christ or what we often call the gospel. The gospel is just a, a fancy word meaning 
good news. Uh, these words of, of receiving and hearing to me are suggestive of the time when this church first received the message of Jesus. Uh, if you ask me to demonstrate or explain why I think that we're talking about the gospel here, I could point to some words of Paul, for instance, the way that Paul typically talks about the gospel. Uh, he says, uh, for instance, the gospel that was preached by me was not man's gospel. I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, the gospel was something that was preached, it was a message, it was heard, and it was received. And in 1 Corinthians 15, again, Paul is talking about the gospel in similar terms. He says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received. And so to me, when Jesus says, Remember and keep what you received and heard, it seems to me suggestive of the central message which they would have heard, the message, uh, the good news of Jesus Christ. They need to get back to the gospel. And remembering and keeping the gospel or the good news of Jesus is the key to waking up from spiritual death into a living and a real faith. Now, if you come to church for a while and you observe what's going on, you might get the impression that a church is alive because it has a, a thriving community uh, life. Or you might think that uh, life is, is demonstrated in community service, or uh, you might see life as being evident in, in uh, Bible classes and uh, other ways in which we learn. Uh, and all of those kinds of activities are part of what the church does. Uh, they're aspects of, of church operations, but they're not the key to the life of a church. The church is first and foremost the place where the gospel is received and heard and remembered and kept. And there's no life for us aside from that central message uh, which we have once received and heard. So that's my proposal. Jesus is saying to them, you've got to get back to the main thing, which is the gospel and good news about me. Recover that, recapture that in order to find life. And so uh, we come then to a pretty important question. At least I ask myself, how could any church, how could Sardis, how could any church, how could Rally Street potentially miss something so central? And to answer that question, I'm first going to set out a, a quick explanation of the gospel, what I mean by the good news about Jesus, and then I'm going to have several suggestions for how it can be that a church might actually not take on that central, important message and fail to understand it, to remember it, and to keep it. So let's talk about the gospel. There are a multitude of different ways in which we can explain the good news about Jesus, but I'm going to just try and do this very quickly and simply by relying on Jesus' own gospel preaching. If you watch the Mark drama in the last couple of years, you might remember Jesus repeatedly proclaiming this message, which we find in Mark chapter 1, which says, Jesus came proclaiming the gospel of God 
and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So there we have, very briefly, Jesus' own uh, gospel preaching and the core of the message that he is uh, proclaiming is that the kingdom of God is at hand. God's rule is coming. And if I was to expand on that a little, uh, what Jesus is meaning to say is that he has come as God's chosen king. And through Jesus, God's rule is coming. And it can potentially come uh, to the life of those who met Jesus at that time, but to us also. The kingdom of God is at hand, and it comes through Jesus, God's chosen king. And so one way to summarize very briefly the gospel message would be to say, the king has come. You know, Revelation in chapter 1 calls Jesus the ruler of the kings of the earth. He's a king. And uh, Jesus has come to bring about God's rule in our lives. He's our king, so he's our lawgiver. Love your enemies, turn the other cheek, and so on. He's our king, our warrior king, who through death, and resurrection has won the battle over our enemies' sin and death and the devil and won life for us. Jesus is our king. He's a king who judges justly. And in Jesus, God's chosen king has come. Now, when we hear this message, Jesus asks us to do two things, doesn't he? He says, first of all, believe which is simply to say, trust in God, trust in the message, trust that Jesus uh, is the king he claims to be, accept him as that king. Put your trust in the message. And when we believe, uh, the Bible teaches, we receive life as a gift of God. Whoever believes has eternal life. Uh, but the life that we find through believing the message is more than just a promise of a of, of future uh, eternity with God. Uh, for now, we also enjoy a better life in the present. We've got a connection with God. We have forgiveness of sins. We live without guilt and fear and self-loathing before God. We can find joy and peace before God as we believe in the gospel and accept the gift of life that God has for us. Jesus also says, repent. The famous reformer Martin Luther, he used to say, we're saved by faith alone, but not by a faith that remains alone. You know, you're, you're, the gift of life comes to you when you believe. But true belief, true faith in Christ Jesus as king is going to lead to changes in your life. If he's really your king, your life will inevitably change. It will become better. There'll be good works. And that's what we mean by repentance. When we say repent, we mean change your thoughts, change your conduct and your way of life, change your actions uh, and start to live in a new way. And when we repent, we start to live out the new life that we've received from God. It's a good life, a life of Love, direction, focus, purpose. So in sum, when we believe and repent, uh, 
we find a living, real religion in place of dead reputation for religion. And in the letter to Sardis, uh, Jesus uh, says this, for the one who, who overcomes, the one who sticks with him, I will never blot his name out of the book of life. It's etched in there. The gospel is the key to life. Jesus has come as a king. We need to believe and repent. So there you go. There's an outline of the gospel. That still leaves us with the question, how could a church fail in its reception of the gospel? How could a church be dead rather than alive, have a reputation rather than reality, through failing to grasp the gospel? So here are my three suggestions. And now you'll start to see why I've drawn this diagram in this rather strange way. Three suggestions for how you could fail uh, to grasp the gospel. How you as a churchgoer, someone like me, how we could miss the gospel. And the first is that we could simply deny uh, the truth of who Jesus is. Right? We've got a central message that's been proclaimed. The king has come. Now, you could just deny that. And there have been churches like that, including in New Zealand. Now, some years ago, my wife Jo she used to study religion in New Zealand. Uh, she did a master's thesis in uh, the demographics of New Zealand religion. And specifically, she looked at census data for over 100 years and, and tracked the growth and decline of different churches based on census data. And if you look back at her research, which I flicked through the other day, you'll see that from the 1960s, there were these steep uh, uh, drops in affiliation of certain uh, denominations and churches in New Zealand. And that's a, the complicated story why that happened to be, but part of it has to do with certain churches that minimize the distinctiveness of, of Christian faith, that abandon certain aspects of gospel belief. And it's uh, been traditional to call these churches liberal, so that's what I'm going to label this era, right? You can just abandon that central idea that the king has come. And the thing is, the churches that did this thought that by changing their beliefs or adopting certain new beliefs, they would grow. They were trying to be more relevant, more attractive by taking on less offensive ideas, trying to sound rational and scientific, but actually uh, what happened is it backfired. And having abandoned the reality of religion, eventually the reputation for life also slipped away. I don't actually think that's part of the reality at Rally Street. I certainly hope it's not. But we would certainly want to proclaim that Jesus is the Son of God, that he's totally God, that he's totally man, uh, that he has come as Messiah and so on. Uh, we want to proclaim uh, the truth about Jesus. So I don't think that's something that's particularly relevant to Rally Street as a church, although you may have your own personal questions about who Jesus is. I think there are two other ways that you can fall into error with regards to the gospel that may be more important for us here. And they have to do with how we respond. We may acknowledge certain tenets of doctrine about Jesus, but how do we respond? One uh, error we can fall into is that we can be lawless. And this is where we're all about the believing, but there's no repentance. 
Now, Jesus offers salvation to us as a free gift. We don't earn our standing with God, but we need to recognize the need for repentance and obedience. If we don't, we're in danger of receiving something less uh, than the gospel. And in fact, uh, in another book of the Bible, James, uh, James describes this kind of faith, which is all belief and no actions. He, he, he calls it a dead faith. You find that in James 2 and 17. That's a way to dead religion. Lawlessness. You're all about the belief, but you don't actually change. And that could be a risk for you here this morning. It could be a risk for me, for that matter. It might be that you're sitting here this morning and you answered an altar call once at a camp or you were baptized a long time ago or something like that happened and you think that's enough. You've got your golden ticket to heaven in your back pocket and now you're going to enjoy life, tick off your bucket list, no boundaries, just do what you want. Or maybe you are someone who comes regularly to church on a Sunday, uh, but actually it, it's had no effect on how you live the rest of your life. You might even live a, a wild kind of a lifestyle. And, and you can't think of a single way your life has changed because of your faith in Jesus. Uh, but you don't have to, you don't have to be a, a party a party goer uh, to fall into this area. You could just be simply giving yourself to something else, your work, your sport, whatever it is, and you never give any thought to God at all. And your life hasn't changed. Be careful. You may have a reputation for life. Is it matched by reality? And the other era I wanted to talk about is we can become legalistic. And this is where we're all about the repentance, but without the believing. The Christian life does involve living according to the law of God, under Jesus, the lawgiver, our king. Uh, but if law becomes everything, we risk legalism, where we think religion is all about keeping the rules, earning favor with God. We start to believe we can impress God. And that's not the truth. We need the grace and the forgiveness of God, people. Every day. Paul, in 2 Corinthians 3, he, he speaks of what it's like to live under law without Jesus. And there he says ab about the law, the letter kills. You know, if you've got the law but you don't have Jesus, that's another way to dead religion. We can become legalistic. And maybe that's something that you have to be challenged by this morning could be the kind of person who listens to only Christian music and you dress modestly and you come to church every week and you read the Bible in a year every year. You could be that kind of person and you could still be living in guilt before God, never assured of his forgiveness. It could be that you're uh, someone who's seeking to live before God in that way and you even resent God. You might even hate God for imposing all these rules on your life and you haven't grasped your generosity and your love and the forgiveness of God for you. Be careful, you may have a reputation, but is there reality? The church at Sardis had missed that reality, right? They had a reputation for life, but they were dead. They needed to wake up. May that be a warning to us also, something for us to think about, we want to be people who grasp life. 
We find life in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Life comes to us through receiving and hearing and remembering and keeping the good news of Jesus. So I want to give us uh, all a chance to respond uh, in prayer this morning. And uh, I've written a prayer here that I think is appropriate to everyone. But I've written it in the first person uh, initially. I'll pray it aloud, uh, but it's, it can be a personal prayer for each one of us. And especially if you think you may have failed to grasp the gospel, the good news of Jesus, this is an opportunity to apply it to yourself uh, and to call on God for real living and religion. And then in the second part, we'll pray together as a body. So let me pray. First of all, as individuals, we come before God. Father, this morning I choose to trust Jesus as my King, my Judge, and my Saviour. Thank you that I can receive your gift of forgiveness and eternal life. I commit myself to repent of all that needs to change in my thoughts and actions. Keep me from the error of thinking my salvation depends on keeping all the rules. And keep me also from the opposite error of thinking the rules don't matter at all. And now together we pray. Father, we ask that you will help us to remember and keep the gospel of Jesus at the heart of our church life. We want to be a church that is not dead, but alive, where reality matches reputation. Do your work in us. Amen.